Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. In his letter to Timothy, Paul stated his purpose for writing this letter in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He said, I hope to come see you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. We've spent the past several months studying this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, and so that we will know even better how we ought to conduct ourselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Some of the major themes that we've covered throughout this letter are the need for sound doctrine, the need to confront false teachers in the church, We've seen the importance of prayer, the role of women in the church, qualifications for church leaders, and how to treat different kinds of people in the church. And Paul closes this letter by going back to a theme he's already addressed in this letter, by addressing false teachers and false teaching in the church. And he gives Timothy this final instruction, a word of encouragement and a charge to fight the good fight of the faith. You see that in chapter 6, verse 12. The Christian faith is constantly attacked in as many ways as possible because Satan wants to destroy us. He wants to cause us to lose confidence in God and to keep as many people away from God as possible. And we must be aware of this, and we need to learn how to fight well for the faith. And so this morning, as we, as we close out this series in 1 Timothy, I want to give you some instruction that Paul gave to Timothy and that we need as well in order to be faithful to fight the good fight of the faith. So read with me in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse, starting at verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold to the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And look over at verse 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we are gathered here today to worship, God, I pray that you would accept our worship. And God, as, as I preach now, you would just open our ears to hear your word, open our eyes to see what you would have us to see, and, and just soften our hearts to be receptive to you, God, and what you may have us do today as we consider this good fight of faith. Would you bless this time now? Would you just work among us, God, to make us more like you? And we ask this all in your holy name. Amen. So this morning, I want you to consider with me six words of instruction that we need 
in order to fight well in this good fight of the faith. First instruction that we see here that Paul gave to Timothy was to flee that which is evil. Flee that which is evil. Verse 11 begins, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. There's an immediate, sharp contrast at right at the beginning of verse 11. Paul is contrasting something when he moves from what he's been previously talking about to now addressing Timothy. There's a contrast in both character and behavior. Do you see this? But as for you, there's the sharp contrast. O man of God, he's referring to his character. Flee these things. There's an action, a behavior. Paul addresses Timothy as a man of God, as a man of God. This title, Man of God, was first used in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1, uh, referring to Moses as the spiritual leader of Israel. And Moses, he was referred to this uh, in, his, in Deuteronomy 33, right before uh, he was about to die. He was blessing the nation of Israel. And we see that Moses was called a man of God. This title was one of honor, and it was reserved for the leaders of Israel. It's used a few times throughout the Old Testament. Um, referring to the leaders of Israel, but it's only used two times in the New Testament, both times used by Paul to Timothy. Here in chapter 6, verse 11, and then again in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17. We know verses 16 and 17. Uh, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's, Paul used this referring to Timothy, but it is used to characterize a spiritually mature Christian. And he was applying this directly to Timothy, but this applies for all Christians as well. As a man of God, Timothy was to be noticeably different from false teachers. The things that characterized false teachers were not to be a part of Timothy's life in any way. In fact, Paul instructed Timothy at the, end of that, at the end of that sentence to flee these things. He said, flee these things. But what exactly are these things that Paul was referring to? Well, he was referring back to the previous section, verses 3 through 10, and in particular, verses 9 and 10. Read with me beginning in verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Timothy was to flee the many evils that were associated, that are associated with the love of money. And this characterized false teachers. These things, if you look over in verse 21, these things have caused some to swerve or to deviate or to get out of line with the faith. Paul listed these characteristics from which Timothy was to flee, and then he gives further instruction in verses 20 and 21. Timothy was to avoid worldly talk, this irreverent babble and contradictions or arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. One of the main reasons Timothy was in Ephesus was to correct false teaching that was taking place in the church. In chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul wrote to Timothy, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine 
nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Timothy was there to correct this false teaching. He was to be noticeably different, and he was to avoid everything that had to do with these false teachers. He was to avoid this empty talk that assumed the name knowledge. Because by professing this, as we see in verse 21, some have swerved from the faith. And so Hillcrest, this is why it is so important for us as Christians to flee that which is evil. To avoid irreverent talk. To avoid these contradictions that are falsely called knowledge. Because we see that here, by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. We must avoid that which is evil. We must avoid profane, worldly talk that leads to ungodliness. There's a reason why Paul makes such a sharp contrast at the beginning of verse 11 between false teachers and Timothy as a man of God. And it's because the man of God is to have nothing to do with that which is evil. We are to flee the things that are evil and ungodly. And so think about your life. Think about the things that are going on in your life now. Do you have anything in your life that is evil and ungodly? I'm not asking if you think it's evil or ungodly. I'm asking if you have anything in your life that God says is evil and ungodly from which you need to flee. In order to fight this good fight of the faith, we must flee that which is evil. But we also must pursue that which is godly. We must pursue that which is godly. Look at the rest of verse 11. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. It's not enough simply to flee evil. It's not. We must pursue something. That's great. Just think about it for a second. If you flee something, what are you turning toward? You're not turning toward nothing. You've got to pursue something. We are sinners. And if we're left to ourselves, we're going to go right back to the evil that we love by nature. We're going to be like a dog that returns to his own vomit. That's why Paul gave Timothy this instruction to flee evil and to pursue that which is godly. Paul listed six character qualities that Timothy was to pursue, to, to run after, to chase after. Let me make a quick note right here about, about godliness, about pursuing that which is godly. Godliness doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen just, just go about your life and like, oh, one day I'm, I'm more godly than the next. Godliness doesn't happen when you're just hanging out at your house, watching TV, or just spending the majority of your day just mindlessly scrolling on social media, or just mundane routines of life. Godliness doesn't just happen. The Holy Spirit, yes, works in us. He is sovereign. God is sovereign. But we also have a responsibility to pursue God. Jeremiah 29, 13. We all know Jeremiah 29, 11, the Bible verse that God gave to high school graduates, right? Two verses later, he wrote to the exiles, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. When we wholeheartedly pursue God, that is when God can most effectively work in us to make us more godly. We are to be daily transformed by the renewing of our mind. Not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind into Christ's likeness by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not to just mindlessly go through life thinking, oh, I come to church, oh, I do this, I don't do this, therefore I'm godly. We're to pursue God with our whole hearts, our whole lives, our whole being. If you think that you can live passively, 
not ever actively pursuing God, and just going about life, you're a fool, and you're fooling yourself. We have a responsibility to pursue godliness. And so these, these six character qualities that Paul mentioned to Timothy, that he was to pursue, to run after, to chase after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. What do these qualities make you think of? Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Where, where are my fusion kids at? Where are my fusion kids at? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. You guys know the fruit of the Spirit song? Good, good. Okay, I was just making sure. Good job, brother Jason. Fruit of the Spirit. These qualities that we see in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Paul gives a similar list here. These are qualities that God desires for us to pursue. Godliness, righteousness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, humility. These are things that God desires for us to pursue. So let me quickly mention these things that God desires for us to pursue. The first that Paul gives is righteousness. What is righteousness? Simply, that which is right. Righteousness is that which is right. And it has to do with living a holy life. Living a holy life. Living a life of holiness. Next he mentions godliness. Godliness simply appropriate beliefs about God. And righteousness and godliness go together. Godliness is more of an inward belief. You, you believe the right things about God. And therefore you live righteously. You, you outwardly live. You do what is right. You live a life of holiness. So these two are very close. Godliness can be looked at as an inward Righteousness can be looked at as outward. We live a life of holiness. We do what is right because we have correct beliefs about God. Righteousness, godliness, faith. What is faith? Faith is confident trust in God. It's confident trust in God. It's not a blind, wishful kind of hope. It's like, oh, you know, I have faith in God. No, it's, it's confident trust in God. I have faith that this platform will hold me. You have faith that that pew will hold you. You sat down confidently. You didn't worry about it. I walked up here. I didn't worry about whether the stage would hold me or not. It's a confident trust. We are to have a confident trust in God. Faith, we're to pursue this. Love, great affection for God and others. To have pursue love. 1 Corinthians 13 is known as what? The love chapter. The love chapter. And verses 4 through 7 give very detailed characteristics of what this kind of love looks like. To pursue love. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness is simply perseverance. Perseverance. Patient, enduring, in difficult circumstances. And then gentleness. Gentleness. Kindness. Meekness. Humility. These are characteristics of a godly man, of a godly woman. And we are to pursue these things. This is what God desires for us. In this good fight of fight, fleeing that which is evil and pursuing that which is godly. But then you have to do something else. In verse 12, what do you have to do? Fight. You actually have to fight. It's not enough just to know it or know what you're supposed to do. You actually have to fight. You actually have to do this. Verse 12, the beginning of it says, fight the good fight of faith. I love how Paul writes a lot of the time. Sometimes it's just very direct. Do this, don't do this, 
flee this, pursue this, fight. We must fight. The word here used for fight is the word agonizomai. Did I say that right? There you go. Thank you. Agonizomai. And it's where we get our English word agonize. To struggle. Agonize. It literally means struggle. The Christian life is a real struggle at times because we are constantly at war with a real enemy. We struggle against our flesh, against the devil, against this fallen world that just loves sin and hates holiness and godliness and truth. And whether you acknowledge that or not does not change the fact that we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a constant war against Satan. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 12. You know this passage is familiar with to you. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 12 say, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the evil, uh, sorry, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then he goes on to list the armor of God. We are in a real spiritual battle. You don't have to turn there. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 say, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Are you really aware that we are in a constant spiritual battle? You and I are in a constant spiritual battle for the faith. I'm not talking about an emotional battle where you have a bad day and you need someone to encourage you in the name of Jesus. These things are real. We get discouraged and we need these things. But even more than this, we are in a fight for the faith. A fight for truth. Are you aware that Satan is trying to make you doubt God? He is seeking ways to devour you, to cause you to doubt God, to doubt your faith, to question His Word. That's what He did in the garden. Did God really say? He's causing Adam and Eve to doubt, to question God's Word. Satan does that today. He tries to keep us from being obedient to God. The easiest way he does that is by making us comfortable. Causing us to be unfaithful, disobedient to God. Are you aware that Satan tries to convince us that we need to make the most of our life here and now? With just things here. And what that does is it takes our focus off of eternity. And we don't think about the kingdom of God. We don't think about things of eternity because what Satan does is he tries to get us to focus on Right now. Make the best of your life right now. And we just can so easily lose focus. It's a fight for the faith. It's a fight that we must fight to be godly. We must struggle against the enemy so that we live a life that is holy and is pleasing unto God. Flee that which is evil. Pursue that which is godly. Fight for the faith. Grasp your salvation. Grasp your salvation. Look at me at the rest of verse 12. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of, grasp, catch, 
embrace your salvation. Paul's telling Timothy, grasp, grasp your salvation. Grasp eternal life to which you've been called. But now wait a second. Paul sent Timothy to help correct this church. He's kind of pastoring this church. Wasn't Timothy already a Christian? Why is Paul telling Timothy to take hold of the eternal life to which he's been called if he was already a Christian? What does Paul really mean here? I like what John MacArthur says about this. He says that Paul was basically telling Timothy to get a grip on the reality of eternal life. To get a grip on the reality of eternal life so that he would live and minister in the light of eternity. Are you living your life in light of eternity? Do you have a good grasp of your salvation? Do you have a good understanding of the eternal life to which you have been called? If you need a reminder of the eternal life to which you've been called, read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-12 through 12 at lunch today. Men, dads, husbands, I'd encourage you. Lead your families through this when you sit down for lunch to remind yourselves of the eternal life to which you've been called. God has called you to eternal life. Get a grip on that. How do you treat your salvation? You think about that a lot. You think about your salvation a lot. How do you treat your salvation? I got to thinking, do you, do you treat your salvation like a, like a trophy that, that sits on your top shelf? It's, it's something you're proud of, but you don't really want to make a big deal about it. You, you can see it, and you know it's there, but it's not really, in, it's kind of out of the way, so you don't think about it a lot. You've had it for a while, you're, you're not going to get rid of it, but you don't really know what to do with it. I fear far too many people who profess faith in Christ treat salvation in this way. They're proud of it, they're proud they're a Christian, but they don't want to really make a big deal about it because they don't want to offend somebody. They're saved, but they don't really take the time to pray to study God's word, to serve him, to practice these spiritual disciplines, to grow in godliness. It's just kind of out of the way a little bit. They've been a Christian for years, but maybe their faith has just been sitting collecting dust. They've not really grown in their faith, and they really don't know what to do. Does that describe how you view salvation? Does that describe how you view the eternal life to which God has called you can I plead with you to take hold of your salvation, to grasp your salvation, to get a grip on the reality of eternal life. This life is not all that we have as Christians. God has called us to eternal life with Him. And that doesn't start when we die and get to heaven. We get to live in this life now. Do you have a grasp of eternal life? When we take hold of the eternal life to which God has called us, we maintain an eternal perspective. Paul wrote to the church of Colossae in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He said, If then you've been raised with the Messiah, with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? Because if we get so focused on here, if we get so focused on the things around us, on getting a bigger house, getting another car, making sure our family's taken care of, these things are good and important. But if that is the, if that is the extent of our focus, 
And we're not focusing on eternity. We're not seeking to make disciples. We're not seeking to evangelize the lost. Then we're missing the picture. We're not really showing that we have a good grasp of the eternal life to which we have been called. Timothy was a Christian. And he had made the good confession of the faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul is now encouraging him to grasp this. To get a grip on this. To take hold of the reality of eternal life. And to live and to minister in light of eternity. Hillcrest, take hold. Grab onto the reality of eternal life that God has called you to and live in this now. In order to fight the good fight of the faith, we must flee that which is evil. Pursue that which is godly. Fight for the faith. Grasp your salvation. In verse 14, we see we are to protect the truth. Protect the truth. Paul gave Timothy, he started off verse 13, I charge you, and then went on a little further. And in verse 14, I charge you to keep the commandment unstained and free from approach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 20, he wrote, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. This charge to keep the commandment free, unstained and free from approach, this commandment that Paul mentioned, verse 14 should be understood in its broadest sense as the word of God to which Paul had, to which Timothy was charged to preach, proclaim and protect he was to keep the word of God unstained, spotless, blemished unblemished and free from reproach or rebuke or criticism and how was Timothy to do this? look back at verses 11 and 12 Timothy was to live a life that was completely above reproach. We are too. We are too. Timothy was both to proclaim and defend the truth with his words and also his lifestyle. His lifestyle was to match the gospel, the truth that he proclaimed and was charged to protect. Do you realize that you and I carry a powerful defense of the truth of the gospel in our personal testimony? Do you realize that? The way you live your life shows what you really believe about the gospel. The way you conduct yourselves, how you live your life, shows what you really believe about the gospel. The gospel can handle its own. The gospel is the power of God into salvation for those who believe. Romans 1.16 Yet God has entrusted you and me with this gospel message. And we are to protect this truth. A lot in this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy had to do with addressing false doctrine, with correcting, protecting the truth of God's word. We are charged to protect this truth, to guard this deposit that has been entrusted to us. I love the beginning of verse 20. First part of verse 20, Paul wrote to Timothy. After writing all this instruction, giving him all this instruction of how to correct false teachers, how to, how to giving him qualifications of church leaders, how to just really do life in the church. At the end of this letter, Paul gives Timothy this, this charge, this last word of instruction. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Guard this deposit that has been entrusted to you. The phrase, guard the deposit entrusted to you, or your translation may say, 
uh, that which has been committed to you, or committed to your care, committed to your trust. That, that phrase in Greek is one word. It's one word, which means deposit. And the idea is that the word of God is a deposit that has been entrusted to us. And we have absolutely no liberty to change this or to alter this. It's a deposit that has been entrusted to us. Think about this. If you go to the bank to deposit a check and you give the teller your check, what does that teller have the responsibility to do? To put that check in your bank account, right? The teller has absolutely no responsibility to alter the amount of money on that check. God has entrusted us with a deposit. This message to proclaim that salvation from sin is found in Jesus Christ alone. We are to proclaim this to the world. This is a deposit that God has given us. We have absolutely no right to change this message. And that's what was going on here. We see that there are some false teachings going on around here in this church. Timothy was correct this. We as Christians, have absolutely, we as people, have absolutely no right to change the message that has been given to us. We are simply to do what God has commanded us to do, and that is to take this message and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. We're to carry this message forth into the world, proclaiming that God saves. We must protect the truth of the gospel with our words and by our lifestyles. This is a deposit that God has entrusted to us, and he expects us to keep this pure. And lastly, in verses 13 through 16, behold the God you serve. In this good fight of the faith, behold the God you serve. I was reminded by a dear brother just the other day that our service to God should flow from our worship of God. We don't serve God in order to earn His favor. God chose to love us and we worship Him because He is good and we serve Him because we love Him. Paul, recognizing the need to encourage Timothy, reminded him of the God whom he served. Look with me beginning in verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in the unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. God is the one who is all-powerful, who has the power to give life. He is the one who gives life to those who trust in him. And just as Timothy made the good confession, Paul reminded him that Jesus also made that good confession before Pontius Pilate. Despite the cost of his life, he confessed that he was the king and it cost him his life. Yet he trusted God to deliver him from death. And Timothy could and should have this same confidence in God. Then at the very end of verse 14, Paul shifts the focus a little, little bit. He says, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that Jesus is coming back? 
Amen. Does that not make anyone excited? Jesus is coming back. Are you living in this light of eternity that Jesus Christ is coming back? To call his redeemed home. One day Christ will return and we will see him face to face and behold his glory. Just in case you need a little more motivation and encouragement, Paul offers this wonderful doxology in verses 15 and 16. Paul began this letter with a doxology in chapter 1, verse 17, and he ends this letter in the same way with the doxology here in verses 15 and 17. The doxology is simply a hymn of praise. We see these a lot throughout Scripture. And these are things that we do not need to rush past. We don't need to overlook doxologies. We need to take time to focus on them, to, to look at these just outbursts of praise to God, exalting Him, declaring who He is. A.W. Tozer wrote in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a weighty thought. What comes to your mind when you think about God? Do you take time to stop and to meditate on who he is? Paul wrote this to Timothy so he would stop, meditate, Hold the God who he was serving. The, only, the blessed and only sovereign. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. Who alone has immortality. Who dwells in unapproachable life. Who no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. For just a moment as we, as we prepare to close. I, I just want us to go back for a moment. And just declare this doxology back to God. Just, just walk through these verses and just praise God. Take time now to just behold the God that we serve. The God who has given us this faith. Who has given us eternal life. The God who is worthy of our complete devotion. To encourage us as we fight this good fight. So would you, would you say these with me? I'll read it. Just repeat after me as, as we say this together as a church. Just offering up praise to God. God, you are the blessed and only sovereign. God, you are the blessed and only sovereign. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You alone have immortality. You dwell in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen or can see your perfect glory. No one has ever seen or can see your perfect glory. To you belong honor and eternal dominion. To you belong honor and eternal dominion. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Several times throughout this week, I thought about the message that we heard last week from Brother Ray Jones about taking it to the next level. And it's really just weighed heavily on my heart about what I need to do, what we need to do Take it to the next level. And, and for me, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but I, I know that I need to spend a lot more time, especially on this last one, just beholding the God I serve. It's easy for me to get up and to go and to serve and to do without taking time to really prepare to worship. And too often I come into this building and I, I'm not prepared to worship. I'm, I'm prepared with this, but my, my heart is not bent toward God, and I'm not 
I'm not taking the time that I need. We're about to take the Lord's Supper in just a moment. But before that, I just want us to take some time just to spend in personal communion with God. Maybe there's evil in your life that you have been letting live there for a long time that you need to just flee from. Run away from it. Maybe there are areas of your life of godliness that you need to pursue. Maybe you looked at that list that Paul gave and you're like, I'm not really loving my neighbor as I should. I'm not really loving God. My faith in God has been kind of weak. I've struggled to be, I've struggled to persevere in, in difficult circumstances. Are you aware of the battle that you are in? And if you're aware of it, are you fighting? Are you fighting in this battle for the faith? Do you have a grasp on the eternal life to which God has called you? Are you protecting the truth of God's word with your life and what you say? Defending the truth of God. Proclaiming the truth of God. Living in obedience to the truth of God. Remember, the way you live your life reflects what you believe about God. If you truly believe what the Bible reveals about God, then your life is going to be changed. You cannot live like the world and say you believe in God. Maybe you're like me. And you just need to pause right now just to behold the God that you serve. My brother Don to come in and just lead us in, in a hymn of invitation and just... Maybe you need to come and just kneel at this altar. Maybe you just need to grab a brother or sister. Maybe you just need to stay where you are. But just spend this time communing with God. And then in a moment we are going to prepare to partake in the Lord's Supper. God, as we think about this good fight of the faith, as we think about who you are and what you have called us to, God, we see here some very direct instruction to flee that which is evil, Pursue that which is godly. To fight for the faith. To take hold of. To grasp our salvation. To protect the truth. And to behold the God that we serve. God, you are a God. You are the only true God. You are worthy of all praise. You are the one that receives honor. And God, one day every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God, may our lives declare that we believe that. And that we live for that. Would you help us right now to just look to heaven and behold your glory. As we prepare.